1: Hey guys. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing the weekly disc of Sweet and Salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And I'm
2: Sam, fight nurse, podcaster, powerlifter, co-host of The Selfie Show. Today we are off the clock, unfiltered, with Nurse Sonia. One of our most requested guests, actually. Uh, The funny thing was, is the day after we recorded, someone emailed us literally to say, I have a request for a guest who I think would be a really good fit. She wrote this book and we're like, we just recorded that last (laughs) night. I read
1: that email and I was like, that's so funny. I was like, well, you're in luck. Great minds think alike over here at the selfie show. You want it? You got it. Here we go. And yeah, you guys, best-selling author. She's an entrepreneur, content creator. I actually think today's very deep. Today is um a real... We didn't... I didn't expect this to... Go the I way it did. needed it. So yeah. It was like a very cathartic episode. It was. um So, unpopular opinion of the week. Victoria. Yes. This actually comes from my dad. Actually, my dad inspired me on this one. Papa Servine came in strong on this. All right. Ready for it? I am. Last names should be carried through the women, I- not men. I love a feminist Tory <laughs> moment. I'm here for it. It's so great. Okay, this is sparked for my dad. Okay, and this is where the conversation came from. So, one of my cousins, um, growing up, he was adopted by um by his stepdad, um and consequently things like kind of fell through and and so he's changing his name back to his dad's biological name and my dad's question was why doesn't he just take his mom's last name like his mom's maiden name instead and I thought that was a really interesting question because my cousin didn't really have a relationship with his bio dad and so it's really interesting to me because you know when you're talking about the whole idea of carrying down you know generation after generation to me it just makes more sense that we carry last names through the women. I don't know. I don't know why all of a sudden we need to be carrying our the the name of the father figure. Like it's just such a weird concept to me. Actually, yeah, now actually, you think about it, who physically birthed the human? Yes, who grew like them the line is carried through them. the woman. Yeah, really. When you really think about it, but I
2: mean, it takes two to tango, obviously. So, but it's like. Also, if you're getting married, why are you taking either's names? Why aren't you just coming up like, now yeah. you guys are a new union together. Why are we not just making a new name, a new family name? Oh,
1: I kind of like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny too because <laughs> now that I think about it, my brother and uh, Megan, oh, yeah. they named their boy, it's Vincent Williams Servine The third. Because of course my brother is the second, so we want to carry on the third. But I'm just like, it's such a funny concept to me, like... The idea of that, the lineage happening like that. I don't know if it's just like I don't know. I if think- I get married, I
2: don't know if I would take. Yeah, change my last name At this I point. like my last name. Yeah, my last name's fucking rad. You have a great last right? name, Man-ass-cero. Manass Sarah I put the ass in Manassero, <laughs> like I don't think that I. It's on brand. Want to change it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Plus but, well- the paperwork, the amount of shit. <sighs> It takes still to change your name? It. Like,
1: why? Yeah, it's a big pain in the butt. And, I'm like, I got back. my
2: degrees with my name. Mm-hmm. I built this podcast off my own yeah. name. Like, this is me, baby. I don't know.
1: Or even, like, doctors who choose to keep their last name. Like, yeah. I would absolutely, if I had become a doctor or anything, I would have kept my name. I get last when you name. have kids,
2: you want your kids to have the same name as you. But... Yeah,
1: well, and I have
2: kids ever, so like, does it matter? I changed my middle name to my former last name, so I dropped. That's what I would have for sure when I was engaged. That was my plan. Yeah, my middle name is Lynn. When you are born in the (laughs) eighties, your birth certificate literally comes with like a like so it's a blank spot for your like Mm -hmm. first name and a blank spot for your last name. Katie Lynn. But for your middle name, you just have to bubble A, B, or C. (laughs) If you were born in the eighties and you were a girl especially if you're a white girl born in the 80s, it was like you have the option of it. your middle name being Marie, Lynn, or Anne, And those are the three choices. You don't get to pick. You don't get to pick. It's yeah. like your parents have to be like, all right, what do you want? A, B, or C? And my parents were like, B, Lynn. Samantha Lynn Manacero, <laughs> done. Check. Move it on. It's kind of a hot porn name. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? That would be a hot porn name. If I started OnlyFans, I should just be Lynn. Like,
1: to me, Victoria Lynn, that's yeah. definitely an important name. Well, what's your middle name? Amanda was... Oh. I know that's long i know it's the mexican victoria and amanda. amanda that's a lot of sh- that's it's a, a lot. lot i know I like because her.
2: i feel like my best friend her middle name's lynn mm-hmm. i know so many people that their middle name's ann my mom's middle, middle name is ann laurel ann or how many marie's how many of you listening is your middle name marie <laughs> all of you <laughs> But my fellow Lynn's caller, if let us know your middle name in, the, in, the, in this episode. Like we even need to know. We want to know. We, if your middle name is Lynn, Marie, or Anne. I would like some validation. It's definitely something where, in. like,
1: the flow of names. There's, like, a few. Yeah. Um,
2: those are the top three. And then there's, like, a few, like, runner-ups. Mm. Like, they didn't podium. Okay. But they, like, honorable mentions or like, Renee. Okay. Back in the 80s. That oh, was like a big my, one.
1: my aunt's name. So it's Janice Ray. That was another one. That's like a yeah, honorable mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a good reserve champion. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> First runner up. Names are funny. Yeah, names are weird. I can imagine. My, I hated my name when I was little. Really? I thought Samantha because there was an American Girl doll named Samantha, yeah. and she was like the stuck up bitch. But then once <laughs> I realized that I am a stuck up bitch, I was like, oh, Samantha's actually a perfect name. Yeah, for like me.
1: like eventually when we name our future children, there's definitely some names like I will not be using. Cause you just like your brain goes to those like people and you're like, Ooh, yes. I cannot name you this, even though I love this name, but like, it's just, it gives you that ping mm-hmm. of like, I can't mm-hmm. not name There's you a this. few people mm-hmm. that I that hate their names. Yeah. I hate the person. Sorry, Courtney, you're not coming. No, nope. no Courtney's here. Sorry, Rachel's <laughs> and Kristen's. <laughs> just kidding.
2: Uh, uh, so anyways, well, what about, like, NICU trauma of names? Like, there's some mm. names where I'm like, I love that name and so I had a NICU baby with that name. And I'll never be able, like, I can't look at it the same. I don't know. There's
1: just certain names where it's like, mm, I don't know. It just gives bad, you, just, you yeah. just don't do it, you know? We keep it high. We keep it light. Naming so a human is a hard when thing. When I was,
2: like, in third grade, I had all my baby names picked out. And they were Absurd. That was a thing when we were control. growing up. So when I was like in third grade, I was gonna have like six kids or something. And yeah, of course they're all girls because obviously I was obsessed with the name Liberty, London. Wow, I wanted to name my my daughter fucking Imperial what is wrong with me? And then that's actually kind of on brand for like everything that's going on with names right now. And then I loved the name Sophia before the Sophia mm, outburst of praise. the mid 2010s, that whole like last decade, that yeah. Sophia outburst before that, when it was like an old grandma name, I loved Sophia when I was little. And I think it's because I read this book about a baby that they found in a basket and her name was baby Sophia with an F. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I was Sophia like a weird, was an weird kid. And cool. like I love babysitters club. So I
1: love the name Claudia. Claudia is great. I love that name. You know what's interesting though? I think the trend I'm seeing right now in baby world is older names are coming back. I feel
2: like that trend started though because people were starting to do like, but now it's like
1: before it was like they were doing classic names. So I think
2: there's a difference between old names yeah. and classic names. Like for a while, classic names like Sophia, Sophia. Catherine yes William William Edward but now it's getting into these like old grandma names where they're like I'm Ellen yeah Vivian yeah like names that like weren't (laughs) cute anymore and they're like yeah "Yeah, we're gonna name you like Edith again yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, they're coming back Edith was like your 90 year old grandma yeah but I kind of love it like
1: a little baby Edith (laughs) is so cute oh my god you just like look at it and you're like oh or like a so like look at a baby boy and you're like Benjamin it's just like such can a you, grown up name for such like a little name person. Your child Marge, for me, <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. I don't like that name. I know it's gonna be. A, it's like just I don't know why I go to Simpsons for that. Yeah. One. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Names oh. are interesting. We love that. Uh, yeah, naming a human is um, daunting. I don't know how people do it. I know we'll
2: be there one day, hopefully, but I don't know. I'm like, ooh. I name my plants. Oh, that's my first one. plants were named um, Wendy, April, and Patty. <laughs> Wet-ass pussy. Oh, my WAP plants, Wendy, April, Patty, are still all alive. I got them October 2020, and my WAP plants are thriving. Yes, it's on brand for you. Yes. I love that. You have to name your plants, though. Well, on that note. Oh, you guys, um, we're getting into it today. ADD HD tangent with we the love baby that for names, us. but here we are. All but right. we have a good, good show today. So we have Dr. Sonia Mitra... <laughs> Mitreska. I butchered that. (laughs) I'm so sorry, (laughs) Sonia. But she is like her parents were Macedonian immigrants. So Mm -hmm. I. I'm not a linguist. I can barely speak English properly, <laughs> let alone other people's languages. So again, mm. but people butcher Manasero. Yeah, it's called Manasero, Man. like whatever. <laughs> so things. I do apologize. But anyways, Dr. Sonia is a certified registered nurse anesthetist. She's an advanced practice nurse over 10 years of experience. But the cool thing about her is she has a background in English literature before becoming a nurse. And her goal by her 30th birthday was to become a published author. Nailed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her first book is called, Oh Shit, I Almost Killed You. A Little Book of Big Things Nursing School Forgot to Teach You. Sold over 150,000 copies and just really goes into nursing and lifestyle. And she's been featured in the Huffington Post. Yeah, she's been all over.
1: Like, amazing nurse even better author yeah and then she wrote two more books her second book coffee with my dead mother lessons on loss hope and navigating a new normal released in february of 2022 And then her third book released, You Won't Feel a Thing, The Drama, Tragedy, and Comedy of Nursing in April of 2022. You guys, she is absolutely wonderful. And after a decade in the healthcare industry, she just really wanted to create a space that stretches beyond the walls of the hospital. And she is doing just that with enduring life experiences that have challenged her and inspired her with growth. She's focused on providing sources of information and expertise. And as she puts it, it's time to focus on less on our work and more on our wellness. And we cannot be here for that message anymore. We love it. And so without further ado, let's get into it with Dr. Sonia. We want to kick this off with your unpopular opinion.
0: Okay. So I know this is going to alarm some of you, but I actually think that peanut butter and jelly isn't a real meal. And I don't think it constitutes like an actual sandwich. <laughs> you sound upset. Am I, am I stressing you? I'm,
2: I'm not upset. I'm just <laughs> disappointed in you. <laughs> you, you were it's expecting like, more. I, I spent... I spent $9 on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this week in Vegas. She did. Out of the, <laughs> the sandwich shop I went to that had like 40 sandwiches on the menu, I ordered a peanut butter and jelly.
0: Listen, I, and I grew up in an immigrant household where when you went to lunch for school, you brought like a hot lunch. It didn't matter how hard your parents worked, you weren't like eating peanut butter and jelly for lunch. It's crazy. You know what's funny?
1: I actually feel like, okay, maybe I'm going to side with you on this, because I don't think I've ever been a peanut butter and jelly girl, girly, like it's never been like my go-to. Right. But you're a connoisseur.
2: Well, I also, I hated pizza growing up. I've never liked pizza as a child, as an adult. So when we used to go to birthday parties, it was like for kids, the cheapest way to feed a party of elementary school kids is a pizza party. of course. So I would always bring my own little, like, sack lunch, little brown bag lunch to birthday parties with me with a peanut butter and jelly in it because I didn't want to eat pizza. I swear, I was like Am I triggering
0: your childhood right now? I didn't mean to go there. (laughs) You're
2: making me want a peanut butter (laughs) and jelly because I am (laughs) passionate about them. I love them so much. And I'm very, like, specific. I like the peanut butter to jelly ratio matters. The type of jelly, the type of peanut butter, the type of bread, like, there's so many variables to make the perfect pb
0: and j listen to me it's not a meal i don't care i don't care how many different types of peanut butter i don't care if it's chunky or creamy i do not care it's not a meal i didn't try my first peanut butter and jelly sandwich until i was 25 years old and even then i was like well this is fine this is fine You know, this is okay. Have
2: you ever had a toasted peanut butter and jelly? That's I, a hot meal.
0: You know what? I that's ha- a hot meal. <laughs> In your defense, it is. That's that's a very good point. You toast
2: but, it with butter on it, and then the peanut butter gets kind of melty. And the oh, I might have that for dinner. I don't know. Okay. I feel, now I feel all... like
0: now maybe you can open like a food truck, a peanut butter and jelly food truck, and just
1: go from place to place with oh my all God. different types. Is that like a great idea? I actually might be here in L.A. That, that I is. think so, but I think there might be like a sandwich truck with like very um, custom, you, you know, I think that actually might exist. Do you, so you want to know what I did
2: that? to my PB&J though in Vegas? So there's this sandwich shop <laughs> in Vegas called Chiba <laughs> Hut and it's kind of like a stoner sandwich shop. Oh. So all the like, like the size of the sandwiches are like you can get a nug or a, like, like oh, everything's a weed reference. So my, the PB&J is called the Sticky Icky. Like every sandwich and like reference on there is all like a pot yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah. So, but they have like a bunch of ingredients, like hot Cheetos that you can put in your like you know what I mean. It's like a stoner designed menu. But <laughs> I added prosciutto to my PB and J. Oh my god! I and don't know how I like okay, I I've gone to the sandwich shop a couple of times and I do that. And someone like the first time I ordered it, the person at the front was like horrified. And then when I ordered it this time, the girl was like, "Hmm, never heard that." actually sounds pretty good and i was like try it later see i'm on, i'm guys, i promise Maybe, i am I'm mortified Italian, so i will add prosciutto to i
0: no thing. listen i'm I think on your side on this one so it was yeah. so Bacon, good.
1: no i don't think I'm, so good.
0: I'm i'm mortified right now and i feel like you're really just substantiating the fact salty that if it, and it, sweet. if it doesn't have like a hot meat in it then you made it a sandwich it wasn't a sandwich until you added the meat like I just you know, it's
2: salty. I want, I'm want i Italian. I'll put prosciutto on anything that, that I can. If, if prosciutto is an option on the menu, I'm adding it to, to whatever I'm getting, even if it doesn't I, go like a peanut maybe butter and jelly sandwich.
0: Maybe I. Okay. So here's what I hope. Anyone who listens to this podcast, please just try it and comment under the the box for wherever this podcast lives because I need yeah, to know. Yeah, we got to know. Think. We
1: need. Yes, we need to know. I need Absolutely. feedback. I so need some feedback on I'll this one, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you need feedback
2: need to, <laughs> 10 out of 10
1: <laughs> I am I, okay, truly so mentioned... like I'm amazed I'm amazed
2: <laughs> oh, I have that God. effect on people yes, she does
1: <laughs> um wait so okay uh, you mentioned this which which I think is one of the most wonderful things about you and I love we love learning about cultures here so you are the daughter of immigrants can we yep. get into that a little bit and yeah your background
0: yeah so my mom and dad come from a very tiny Eastern European country called Macedonia um it, when I tell people that I'm Macedonian, they ask me if I'm Mesopotamian, they ask me if I'm Macadamian, like the nuts <laughs> they oh, aren't delicious. quite they are they aren't quite sure that it actually exists. I promise you it's a real country and it you know they have a real language and everything. So my parents came here um, in the early 80s and they had absolutely nothing. They lived in the basement apartment of a very good family friend of ours who helped them sort of get their bearings when they came here. And, you know, they really did everything and gave everything for my sister and myself to have the opportunity to have a life here that they couldn't necessarily have
1: there. That's amazing. We love learning, obviously, about languages and cultures it's Eastern Slavic, correct? Is that the language yes. that you speak? Yeah. So it's Macedonian. It's the Cyr- Cyrillic alphabet. Can you say something in Slavic? Sure.
0: I mean, Mojem of makedonski, but you're not going to have any idea what I'm saying anyway. So it's well, <laughs> That's like say? one of the That's <laughs> she one of the Fuck you. <laughs> that's I mean, that's one of my favorite She's like, parts these girls are about <laughs> Such a such an obscure language. My sister and I used to be able to go anywhere and just like trash talk anything. And so few people know what we were saying. That's a dream.
2: That is is. the absolute dream.
0: It is. It is. You know, it it brings such joy to know that very few people are going to have any clue that you're actually talking about them. So
2: has it ever happened though, where you guys were And someone randomly that you would never have expected, like spoke back to you in your language. You know that that oh shit! Like
0: we had no idea that that hasn't happened. But like I've, it's happened to me actually when people think that I don't understand or speak Spanish because I actually have a pretty extensive background in in Spanish (laughs) language. So they've actually spoken about me in front of me and I've responded back in Spanish and they're like, what the fuck? Like this. Where Where did this go come from? Yes. They're very, very confused. But that's (laughs) happened to me a number of times the opposite way. (laughs) So yeah, I love languages. So you speak three languages. Yeah. I, I used to be very, very good at Spanish. I studied it from sixth grade all the way through college and I almost had enough to do a second major. Um, but I never, I was, (laughs) I was poor and I couldn't go study abroad anywhere. I had to work. So uh, I had a very expensive background, but never really got to get immersed in it. Um, that being said, I can still do a pretty mean, uh, anesthesia assessment in Spanish, which I always apologize upfront about how it's, it's mediocre, but we can get through. So
1: what was it like growing up in an immigrant household for you? What was it like?
0: You know, One of my very best girlfriends is the child of Cuban immigrants and she put it best. The number one rule for being the child of immigrants is you learn how to lie. (laughs) (laughs) You learn how to hide anything. And it's actually not very true for me. I was, I'm a, I was a very good kid. I was a big dork and a big nerd, but like, My parents didn't know what college entails. My parents had no idea what happens when people go away to college. They didn't realize that parties are a thing. They didn't realize the extent of what happens. So those are the things you kind of keep to yourself when you are around the parents. Better that they don't know. Lots of slang, lots of terminology. Those things are just off the table. That's You're not teaching them any of that stuff. You're teaching them the bare minimum to get through their conversations, but some things are better left unspoken. So, you know, it was to me growing up before we moved, when I was a little bit older, I grew up in a neighborhood that had such diversity and such culture and a part of the tri-state area that I thought it was normal that every single kid in my class spoke two languages. I mean, that's just how it was. And I'm very grateful for that experience and that immersion because it just made it feel like second nature that you're around a whole different melting pot of people. Um, that, that being said, the work ethic that comes from people who left everything behind to start new is something that really resonates extensively. Um, and, you know, I, I tell people every day, I've always had a love of learning and a curiosity of learning, and that's always been innate. But I've seen, you know, my my parents, my dad, who has been a, a butcher and a meat cutter and who worked at Costco for, you know, almost 30 years of his life and worked his way up. And my mom, who, you know, took whatever job she could after leaving, she was brilliant in her home country. She was the most phenomenal writer and speaker. She was She had dreams of becoming a journalist. And she left it all behind to come here so that she could start a life for, you know, my sister and myself someday. And knowing that and understanding how much sacrifice they made and how much they left behind to give me the opportunity that I have today, that instilled a very deep passion for, to me, education is not a right. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to go to school. It's a privilege to be able to get a graduate education. It's a privilege to be able to learn instead of having to just do whatever you need to do to get by. And I try to keep that mindset every day, even, you know, when I was in the thick of grad school and it was brutal and you're trudging along and it feels like the time just doesn't pass and the days are so long. That was always in the back of my mind, that I'm I'm given an opportunity that many people aren't provided.
1: You're obviously a very profound writer, um, and we were digging around on on your website, and I found a blog that you did. And you said this, I feel, I felt obligated to honor the immense sacrifices of those who came before me. And I don't know, there was just something really, really deep. And I really, I would love for you to dig into that a little bit, because I do think that, you know, we take things for granted, right? And there are moments that I've had similar to yours, where like, I just, I, I struggled through school academically. But I'm really curious because I feel like this drive that you have is so deeply rooted in you. Can you expand on that a little bit?
2: All right, you know what's got me feeling good? Hmm. Ritual vitamins, baby.
1: Let's go. Love them. So obsessed <laughs> with this new partner. Get your ritual on, you guys. We are so thrilled to be partnered with Ritual as we've been using these products, as you guys know, for over a year. And here's why we love Ritual they're scientists sifted through
2: thousands of research studies to determine what nutrients they want to include in their products. And you can even, they're so transparent, go on their website. They make the studies available.
1: They're all about a food first approach to nutrient intake and believe a multivitamin should only help fill the gaps in your diet. That's why you only find nine nutrients in their essential for women, 10 in essential for men and 12 in their essential for prenatal. None of that shady extra additives they are all non-gmo ingredients they're vegan they have
2: delayed release capsules so you help deliver the nutrients straight to the small intestine better absorption can eat them on an empty stomach because you know i'm living off that coffee and no breakfast life over (laughs) here
1: yeah they are easy to start easy to cancel free shipping and you can control your delivery date we love that for us change it up absolutely
2: cancellation at any time 30 day money back guarantee freaking obsessed.
1: Absolutely. Healthy habits start here. Head over to ritual.com and use the code selfie C E L L F I E dash A M B and get fifteen percent off of your first order. Again, that's ritual.com code selfie C E L L F I E dash A M B and get that fifteen percent off. Love that for you. Perfection. It is, you know, and it's in large part, I think,
0: when you know where. People came from. And it's not just that, it's not like my parents left behind some lavish life. They were, they lived on tobacco farms in a tiny village in a remote country. And, you know, my dad tells me a story about when he first came to the United States, he literally had $70 in his pocket. And the taxi driver from JFK Airport in New York charged him exactly $70 to get to where he was going. And he was left with absolutely nothing. So my dad ended up finding a job at a restaurant. And he worked on New Year's Eve as a waiter. And he had extensive restaurant training back in Macedonia. So he did very well. He did not know the language at all. I learned English through Sesame Street. Like, we all learned together. He did not know the language at all. And he... Served on this wild, huge, lavish New Year's Eve party. And he made 300 American dollars that night. And he said, this is the American dream. You can come here in one day and create that for yourself. And to this day, he still tells that story as sort of that trigger for saying, even when times are tough and even when things were difficult... I was given an opportunity to literally go from nothing to that much at one point in time.
1: It's like
2: goosebumps. That's yeah. like such a powerful it story.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's funny to me because it feels just, it just feels normal. It feels like the only thing I've ever mm-hmm. known. And I think that's why, you know, my, a large part of my own imposter syndrome, even sitting here talking to you guys right now and having an audience and having an outlet and having people who, you know, reach out to me. So much of that stems from the fact that I'm like, who am I? You know, I, how is this possible? How did I get to this place? It's a very surreal thing when you grow up with the mindset of you need to work for every single thing that you've ever had. And then when you get to a certain place, you wonder if it's all going to be taken away. And I think anyone who grew up from a modest or meager beginning would probably agree that you just sit there. Listen, if I'm not working two jobs minimum at any point in time, I feel like something is, is wrong. I feel like I'm not doing something right. And I understand that logically that doesn't make sense but if you came from a certain background that's going to be ingrained in you so just to have the opportunity to sit here and talk to you guys it's crazy
2: you know what's interesting though is you mentioned how your mom back at home was such an amazing like author speaker wanted to go into journalism and then left that behind to come here for your sister and yourself to give you guys opportunities and now here you are yeah. this amazing author with this platform who's being able to speak to others and it's i don't know that's just a really cool story and i don't know that's amazing to me that what she left behind to give you guys that you're yeah. giving now the world like that's yeah. ah that's so awesome yeah.
0: and you know it's it's one of those things where it it came full circle, and it definitely manifested mm-hmm. through me without question. It it came to life so through
2: cool.
0: me. Um, and I, you know, I I tell people all the time, and I try to not freak them out. I'm like, well, my mom is like a touch of psychic. <laughs> my mom knew... A lot. My mom was very highly connected to whatever there is
1: in this. I'm universe. with this so much that you said that because I I love I'm fascinated by people with that because there are people that I I'm really drawn to that kind of energy and those kinds right. of people. Right. I love that.
0: So I mean, I I will tell you I've I've gotten some of that from her, and for many many years, I suppressed it. And I ignored it and I tried to shut it out, but she was so highly connected that years ago, years ago, before I ever, before I was even an English major, before I became a nurse years ago, like when I was a teenager, she told me because she just knew that I was going to be a writer someday and I was going to be an author. Like she just knew there was no question. That was nowhere on my radar. That was nowhere on my trajectory. I had no idea that any of this would happen at any point in my life. And yet, when it did happen, and when my first book, which again, I, you know, I published it thinking it was a bucket list item, I literally said, by my 30th birthday, I want to write a book. And if the only people who buy it are my parents, cool. When that book ended up selling far more than I could have ever dreamed. My mom just looked at me knowingly. She wasn't surprised. She wasn't shocked. She was proud, but she always knew. So, you know, having that connection with somebody and having the background that I come from, that sort of stuff is what makes these moments feel very serendipitous. And it makes these conversations feel like, listen, I know this is a deep conversation to be having. After we just talked about the merits of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, <laughs> okay. but that's what we being a, here on the selfie show—that's what I. But that's what I love. That's yeah. what I love to be to be able to do. You know, go from one place to another and have it all sort of
1: connect again. This may sound like a really maybe trivial question, but if you could go back, is there anything about your upbringing that you would have changed? You know that's a difficult question. I you know,
0: I'm I'm very proud of who I am today, and I'm very proud of the person that I've become. Um, I think that it's not necessarily my upbringing that made me such a chronic people pleaser for so many years, but I think that that's in large part being a woman, you know, being a member of this society, being an empath, being a a sort of feeling and giving, compassionate human being. Um, I'm not sure that that is specifically tied to my childhood. But, you know, presumably it's definitely connected. Um, But for the most part, you know, I'm not someone, I've gone through some shit in life, but I've never been somebody who harbors any regret or resentment. And I truly mean that. I'm not, I don't feel well. I don't feel right when I keep that anger Or resentment or aggression within me. I don't operate at that level. I feel best when I can forgive and move on, or overcome and move on, or turn it into something that is going to be positive for other people. And I don't know if that's something that maybe that is something that stems from growing up how I grew up, but for the most part, you know, if my biggest. If my biggest issue was that my parents loved me too much, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that.
1: a good problem to have. Yeah. So you
2: come here and, it's like your dad said, like, here I am, opportunity. What made you decide nursing? All right, it's 2022.
1: If you're not in your dream job yet, first of all. Let's fix that. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is something that we've talked about here. Something that we don't highlight enough in healthcare is how to stand out in your job search. That's why we are obsessed with Resume Rx.
2: Getting your dream job starts with your resume. That's your first impression. We have both used these products and cannot seriously recommend them enough. They are so easy to use. They come with templates that are fill in the blank for your resume and cover letter. There's six different templates
1: to choose from. You can even buy the bundle where you get all of them
2: in one purchase.
1: She offers prompts for each section. There are new grad layouts with spots for clinical rotations. There is a matching cover letter and reference list template as well. The layouts are all in Google Docs, Apple, and even Microsoft Word. You guys, these are seriously the easiest ways to make your resume stand out. And we love these products. Get noticed, baby. Get on the map and we can give you 20% off. Absolutely. Head over to TheResumeRx.com and use code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E, for 20% off. Again, that's TheResumeRx.com and use code SELFIE.
2: And let us know when you get your dream job. Absolutely. Thank Head
1: you. us back. Love you. Bye. You know, I I actually
0: was working at MTV in their legal department.
1: Oh, ah, interesting. Love is worked
0: I worked for MTV Networks in their legal department. And it was like a corporate, very corporate role, but it was obviously in the entertainment industry, the media industry, which is a far cry from what, what it's like to be in the hospital. When I, before that point in time, when I first went to college, I thought that I wanted to go to medical school. My mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was 18. And that experience was so traumatizing to somebody who, at that point, I sort of knew that I was becoming her caretaker in many ways because I knew the language better than my father did. I didn't know anything about healthcare, but I was somehow the go-to person. And that news led me to say, I will never set foot in hospital again. I will never, ever enter the world of healthcare. If I'm not going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer. So I transferred from colleges to be closer to home. I left my scholarship at a different university behind, and I came to be closer to home so that I can either for treatments and help with stuff around, you know, locally. And that's when I ended up taking all of my little sciences that I already started, and I ended up getting an English degree. So I studied English, I ended up interning in the city and then get, taking this job which was a phenomenal it was a phenomenal opportunity at the time and I'm very thankful for it because the people that I met through that experience <clears throat> excuse me are still some of the most instrumental human beings in my life and some of my closest friends. Like truly they are people who have impacted my life since years and years ago. And yet I sat on a train That was stalled for 45 minutes in the heat of the summer, waiting and waiting and waiting, doing the daily grind, doing the daily commute. And it literally hit me. I said, what do I want in a career? At this point, it was the recession. The economy was like going to crap. I was very fortunate to have a job with an income and health insurance and all of that stuff at the time because the economy was absolutely tanking. And I wrote down three things that I wanted for myself in a career. And I said, I want to give, to learn, and to grow. And as I sat on the train, I still had that piece of paper somewhere in a box. I said, how come I never thought about nursing? How come I didn't even realize that nursing was an option? And maybe that's because I wasn't exposed to it. Maybe that's because for my parents, in their country, nurses are very different than they are here, at least at the time. You know, there was a different... Perception on what they did. There was a different role. They didn't quite have the level of respect that they have in this country. So I decided I'm going to look into nursing school. And I applied to nursing programs while I was working in my corporate career. And I ended up walking away from it and going back to being a waitress and bartender while I went to school full time. And then I took a job as a patient care technician at the hospital. So I worked two jobs while I was in school full time, putting myself through nursing school. And truly, the reality is watching my mom go through her treatment and the nurses that took care of her and understanding that physicians have a phenomenal role in what they do, but the person truly caring for the patient from minute to minute is
1: the nurse. That's what put me in that place. That's what shifted me into that perspective. I'm really curious about your journey into DNP because that's that's a lot. It is a a lot. You know, DNP, it's a lot. Um, It is a lot. It is a lot. You know. Yeah, how did you start as a nurse, and then maybe the decision to go that route? What was sure. the decision like for you? Yeah, so as a new graduate, I worked on a
0: high acuity uh, heart failure and heart transplant unit, and that was for the first like thirteen months of my career. And this was at a level one trauma center where patients in a step down unit in other hospitals would have been intensive care unit patients. I mean, they were they had they were critical patients. You know they're walking around on Milrinone drips with ejection fractions of 10, 15%. They're either awaiting transplant or had a transplant. Um, it was phenomenal experience because my preceptors were such amazing human beings on that unit, and because the amount of knowledge that I was filled with in that year on that floor, and the amount of just absolute mental preparation figuring out how to prioritize, figure out how to manage the task, that was crucial for my start. But I during nursing school, I witnessed an open chest code at the bedside during a clinical day. And they the the team got the patient back. And I remember thinking to myself, while I was in clinical, I'm gonna work in that unit one day. I wanna do what they did one day. That's the kind of nursing that I want to do. And I applied to that job in the CTICU and they told me I didn't have enough experience, but I didn't care. <laughs> and I got the interview anyway. And I got through the interview and then I got the job and then they, I had a six week orientation as a new ICU Ooh. nurse.
1: That's it. Six,
0: six, six weeks. So I had six weeks as a new grad. And then I had six weeks as a new ICU nurse in the sickest unit in the hospital and it was overwhelming, but it was exciting and it was adrenaline pumping, but terrifying. And ultimately that was a huge motivator in why I wrote my first book, because you don't realize how helpless and clueless you feel until you are literally in these life or death circumstances and you're looking to others to be there for you and to help you through. So, I ended up on that unit. I, I was actually a CTICU nurse for five years before returning to um, my doctorate in nurse anesthesia, which as far as nursing years goes, it's like dog years. Like that's a pretty long time before yeah. going back to school. Um, and during the time, during my time in the ICU, I actually had gotten into doctoral programs prior to when I actually left. And I got into one of the, one of the, you know, a very prestigious program. I was accepted into it probably about two years into my career as an ICU nurse. And then I got a call while I was at work that the PET scan on my mom showed a mass on her lung. And I remember standing in an empty patient room while my three best friends from the unit let me have a full-blown panic attack and I had two critical patients that I was taking care of. Meanwhile, I was like, I cannot do this again. I don't know how I'm going to do this again. I did it again, (laughs) because that's just what you do. Um, And I had at the time probably one of the most incredible human beings on the planet who was my head nurse, and she Covered my assignment for me. She made arrangements. She told me to get a ride home and leave and do not turn around and wow. come back. I mean, that's just, that's a, those, chargers, those, yep. those, that's, the, thank you. those are the people you will forever remember as mm-hmm. instrumental during those moments. So she ended up requiring a lobectomy. And at the time we weren't sure what the verdict was going to be, whether it was going to be some sort of metastatic disease or something denied. And she made it very clear that she did not want to endure chemo again after having gone through it before. So I knew that this was going to be a crucial determination. And I'm sitting in one of the top hospitals in New York City after her surgery, and she's in pain, and she's been writhing the entire day. And, um, you know, finally, I end up convincing someone to go call a pain management consult. And I spoke to an amazing nurse anesthetist because they have a lot of CRNAs there who was very kind and very helpful and very clinically capable. And I ended up staying overnight that night. And I took out a piece of paper because it's what I do. um, And I told myself by my 30th birthday, my goal was to write a book. And I had absolutely no idea how to write a book. I had no idea what I was going to write about. I don't know how to write a manuscript. I don't have a publisher. I don't have an editor. It didn't matter. My goal was by my 30th birthday, I was going to write a book because what was happening in front of me was a vast reminder that life is so fucking short. Graduate school will always be there. The traditional path will always be there. The easy path will always be there. The commonly taken road is always going to be there. It's those other moments where you're like, I don't know why I feel this nudge from the universe, but I have to listen to it. It's those moments that you have to follow. So I turned down my spot in that program and I had people tell me that I'm crazy. I would be set for life. I could finish school and be done and, you know, have my nice living. And I I, I did not care because that did not matter. I knew that I couldn't leave my family at that time, and I knew that I was feeling called and compelled to do something else. So I went with my gut. And while I was in the unit, I wrote my first book, Oh Shit, I Almost Killed You, in three months.
1: <laughs> I literally love the name, by the way. Thank Great you. Name. Great name.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I wrote it in three months. Um, I don't remember writing it. I just know that I went to Starbucks on my days off, and I, I wrote um, and it's a weird out of body experience when I write. People often ask me what my writing process is and how I structure it, and I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I don't take That's notes. Low, like I that. ask
1: you, what's your process? <laughs> I, I,
0: it oh. comes. It comes when it comes out. It is prolific, and when it's a when it's a patch of just nothing, there's not much. But I know when I'm forcing it versus when it's coming from a place that I can't control, and. I will often go back and read my own work and I don't know who wrote it, (laughs) which is very common. So I ended up writing my book while I was in the unit and I ended up staying and getting what I thought was really phenomenal ICU experience in addition. And I ended up publishing my book and then I was able to, down the road, by the way, that pathology came back and it happened to be a benign tumor. So I continued somehow, um, not knowing how to be an influencer because I still that word still just makes me like cringe. But I I do my I know, best. We all
1: get cringy with that. I know. Yeah, like not I not know.
0: knowing how to self promote because you know we especially as women are supposed to be very humble deprecating of all course like, yeah we, it's like of course hilarious. Yeah, you can't actually like, be
2: proud or yeah. brag about
1: your of course yeah. of course yeah. right?
0: so you know navigating that trying to figure out how i'm supposed to market this book and then realizing that like holy shit it's actually doing really well and i don't know what i'm doing like i'm running out of inventory i'm my own manager i'm my own editor my own copywriter i'm all of it so wow. long story short i ended up Reapplying to a different program where I was accepted for anesthesia and I was able to have an income come in because of my book. So it was much more comfortable for me to take a full time graduate role, knowing at least that I would have something coming in. Because the thing that people don't always realize about a doctorate in nurse anesthesia is you truly can't work. Um, Some people will attempt to work per diem here and there or little bits at a time during breaks, but the workload is astronomical. And I think people hear the word nurse in nurse anesthesia, and they think it's going to be akin to nursing school. But truly, it is such a different level and so much more challenging and so much more labor intensive than nursing school was. So that's how I entered my role in a doctorate program, which, I mean, it's wild enough to have to go back to feeling like a total beginner and a total novice. And it's hard enough to be completely brand new at a skill set every single day. You're you're learning new skills from new people. You're in a different facility. I changed hospitals every 8 weeks. So every 8 weeks I would have to impress the whole new staff, get to know a new facility, get to know new machines. Truly, that alone was ho- Exactly. That's hard awful. enough. And then, you know, yeah. then we have a global pandemic in the middle of it. <laughs> mm, so, well,
2: fun, yeah, Funsies. you know, it's it, <laughs> right. I mean, right. Like,
0: let's just let's let's pour it all on. Let's let's throw it all out there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, graduate school was. I don't want to say it's one of the biggest challenges. It was extremely difficult. What it tested more was my relationships outside of school than it did my ability to performance school and that is what I will tell people before they pursue that world you need to set expectations that no one's going to understand until you're in it and you're not going to understand just how isolating it can be until you're the one enduring it so when it's all said and done I'm forever thankful for having gone through the experience But the life experience and the life side of things, the things that have happened to me in the last year, two years, whatever of my existence, those are the real tests of your humanity, of your strength, of your resilience, of what you're capable of. School in a vacuum, extremely difficult but doable. School amid real life and real times and balancing everything and navigating things, that's what makes it difficult.
1: That's the hardest part. Yep. Actually, uh, we had on Everett, who's a, the immersed, um, and he's, you know, currently finished, or he's in the process of finishing, and he said almost the exact same thing was, the hardest part is, you know, how it affects you personally. Um, and for him, having his family close was a big, big piece of his decision as to what school he chose. Or the Yeah, I mean, it, went,
0: it, you know, it's a big deal. And it's it's one of those things where people would say to me, because they don't, you know, it's It's one thing when people outside of healthcare don't understand. It's a completely different thing when people who are even within healthcare, they also don't get it because they don't recognize just how taxing it can be. And people would say things to me like, well, can't you just pick a clinical site that's closer? It's like, no, I had no say in my clinical site. I was put wherever it was the best experience for that particular rotation. But I knew going into it that like when I tell you, I spent thousands of dollars on Airbnbs and on car tolls, I mean thousands of dollars. And people need to realize before they jump into this type of a program if you're giving up three and a half, you know, 36 months of a salary, you're giving up 36 months of a full time job, you need to look at not only what investment you're making in terms of your student loans and everything else, but also the money that you're losing. And it's not mm-hmm. that the money, Is the most important thing, but financial stress is a very, very real deal and it's a very big impact. Um, And you know, I, I can't, there is no way I would have survived or I would have stayed if it wasn't for my classmates. I had the most cohesive and incredible group of humans, and there was zero competition, there was zero bullshit. We all stood together, we banded together, we supported one another throughout the entire program. And having those people to commiserate with, to talk to, to unload with. I mean, to this day, one of my very best friends on the planet, actually, we work at the same hospital now. And she was my doctoral partner. We joke that during anesthesia school, we just traded off traumas. <laughs> like, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. It's not funny, but, but it's it kind of funny. Because <laughs> if you don't laugh yeah. at it, it's going to be like, we literally just went back and forth with life's most
1: insane insane
0: absurd things that happened and somehow we got through it and somehow we survived so you know all of this is very funny to me and the timing of it is funny because my mom passed away a week and a half after I started my career oh, wow! I started my job and she passed in September a week and a half later and I believe with every part of my being, that she didn't want me to enter this phase of my life worrying about her. And I believe she wanted to remind me that life is not about working all the time. Life is not about achieving the next major goal. Life is about enjoying this moment. Life is about the people that you love and the experience that you have. And not necessarily just diving deep into whatever it is that's next. And I will tell you, old me, pre-pandemic, pre-therapy, pre-life shit, pre-mom dying me, would have said, it's fine, I'll make it to work today. Because it's a great way to distract yourself from whatever's going on in your real life. And I'm certain that plenty of people that work in healthcare use their job as a distraction from whatever is going on. You know that you have a sense of control when you walk into that hospital. You know if you go into that patient room or to that operating room or wherever you are, that you are in control to the best of your ability, even though you have no control outside. And I firmly believe that in her passing, she was teaching me that diving back into things isn't a way to live. It's not a way to process. It's not a way to honor your emotions. It's not a way to exist. So my own experience with grief, which has been a winding road, but for the most part, a very honest one, my experience has been much more authentic than I think it would have been otherwise.
1: It's crazy. Your mom sounds like one of the most wonderful women. I get emotional thinking about it because I'm so close to my mom. But can you talk to us a little bit about your book? i coffee with my your dead mom yeah. i love this thank you I, you know i don't know there's something about it that i think is just it's lighthearted, but it's very deep thank you yeah what was this process like for you all? and you know
0: you know so coffee with my dead mother um and I, I you know i sometimes i think to myself my god people must think i'm so morbid but <laughs> you know i i'm not and i think what you know, my mother loved her coffee and she loved for many, many years, she loved her cigarettes and she, you know, she would go outside in her garden and smoke her cigarette and enjoy her, her Turkish coffee. And that was, that was her joy. That was, you know, that made her happy. And for somebody who, for so many years of her life and my life was so sick, at some point I stopped lecturing because at some point I just said, you you, you got to take whatever you want to enjoy. Those are the times when you have to say to yourself, I'm not a healthcare provider, I am this person's child. I am this person's family member. So when my mom passed, I I knew the day before she passed and she wasn't it was unexpected, but I knew. I had a conversation with her in my head telepathically. And I went home from the rehab facility that she was in, she was getting ready to come home, and I wrote a goodbye letter to her because I knew it was the last time I would see her. And at five, that was at 6.30 p.m. on a Sunday. And at 5.01 the next morning, my father called me and said that she had passed away. That connection, it's eternal. And it's its not, there's no denying that connection. So a few weeks after she passed, I just felt, I mean, I felt every range of emotion. Um, It was the most complex and complicated experience of my life. But it was also, like I said, the most honest experience of my existence. And I felt compelled to write. And I, you know, I tell people I wrote the book in 10 days, but it was actually four days because I I worked six of those days. So I wrote it in four of the days over a 10-day period. And when I tell you I don't know where the book came from, I know that it was co-authored by her. It just oh, came Jose. out of me. Oh,
1: I was your mom. Yeah, I'm like it, your mom was right there, right? It just yeah, came out, like, out of me. And,
0: and you know, the the coincidental moments that weren't a coincidence, the moments where I know she was presenting herself to me, I'm able to discuss this and not be in hysterics because I mm-hmm. number one, I know that she's around all the time. And number two I was raised with somebody who did not fear death and dying. She was somebody who had Deepak Chopra books around the house and Sylvia Brown books around the house. And she was an avid reader and learner of the English English language. But she always knew that on the other side of whatever this life is, there's more and there's something else. And this is not religious. This is not me talking to you about some sort of eternal whatever. This is purely just coexisting with a human who made it very normal to have conversations about death and about dying. And as someone who was a healthcare provider and I have I have witnessed death in every form, in every form I've mm-hmm. seen loss. But until it's your own person, you can't put it into words. You can't recapitulate that experience. So I wrote that book in such a short time frame that I almost was like, is it like, is, is this really finished? Did I really just do this? So I couldn't read it back to myself right away. I had to like, let it sit for a few weeks. But then I was supposed to publish my second nursing book. You won't feel a thing. And I had it with the publisher on September 1st and I told him to stop publication. I said, I don't know if I ever want to publish that book. I don't know what's going on in my life right now you know, I, my entire world was rocked. So I stopped publication. And someone said to me, it was someone very close to me. they said, are you sure you want to rush and publish this book? And I go, yeah, like, who's, I'm, it's my book. I'm my own boss. Like, there's no reason why I, I couldn't. And yes, I just, I feel like I need to put it out there. So I sent it to my publisher. And it was, published in February of this year and I brought like a hundred copies to work for the nurses and the staff at my hospital and I just gave it to them for free and I I signed them all and I said, You guys just keep taking them if you want them. Um and the feedback that I've gotten from people is that it's an honest account of grief and of loss, but it's not as heartbreakingly sad as you would think. It's actually got a very positive message and a very positive note and it's a reminder to live the life that you want to live and to create the life that you want to create and to embrace the things around you because the world will whisper and you're going to ignore it and it's going to whisper and you're not going to listen and then one day it's going to scream, it's going to slap you in the face and you're finally going to listen. It's a reminder to listen to that nudge and that voice in your head because it won't, it won't direct you wrong.
1: Who do you think needs to get their hands on, on this book? I have people in my head, but do you have an audience that you think really need this?
0: I do. I think, you know, I, part of what I write about is the fact that grief, has. N- it's not just loss of a physical person. You can grieve the loss of your identity. You can grieve the loss of a relationship. You can grieve the loss of a part of yourself. Grief is such a profound thing, and yet it's something that we don't talk about enough. It's something that we feel very—we especially in the United States—we shy away from the conversation. I do. It's
2: extre- I was extremely. Ask if you thought that was cultural at all, yeah. because it I is. feel like yeah. a, me being a critical care background, when I've had three of my grandparents all die at home on hospice, and I'm the one who initiated hospice for all three of them, and it was like talking to my family about even the idea of hospice was like <gasps> shocking. Yep. And yeah. I guess I'm just very comfortable around death due mm-hmm. to my profession, but I just started to realize like, wow, in this country, we don't talk about death at we all. And other we countries don't. treat death so differently. Yeah. We, we don't. And,
0: y- you know, I think that the most telling way that, you know, as a society that we're not good at having these conversations is that we're not good at having any of the difficult conversations. and. Death, True. Death, and, death and grief are, without question, most people will have good intentions, but they will attempt to mm. gloss over any sort of a deep dive and just give very, you know, pre-constructed words of sympathy. It's the people who came mm. to me and said to me, how are you really? Or how are you right now? Because for me to say, okay, is a bullshit answer for me to say, okay, just implies right. I I would like to end this conversation. I'd like to exit. I'm not going to, yeah. but if I said to you, I'm okay, it means that I knew you didn't want to know.
1: And I yes. think that you're, you're making it easy for them. Correct. Well,
2: people are asking as a, as a courtesy almost, or because it's what they they're really supposed to, to do. But of course. if you actually hit them with, I'm fucking terrible right now, Yeah, that would catch them so off guard and be like, okay, well, that was not what I was expecting because Correct. we don't ever go there. We always keep things up here.
0: Correct. So I started, I instituted a number system with some of my closest people on a scale of zero to 10. Right now I'm a seven. This morning I was a, a zero when I was on the floor. This afternoon I might be a five. Maybe tomorrow I'll be an eight because there's no way for you to go through any loss whether it's life whether it's whether it's you know a relationship a person an entity an idea there's no way for you to go through that and not experience a range there's no way mm-hmm. for you to say i'm going to stay in this place and i mm-hmm. think you know one of the most telling things about the way we treat loss in this country is the fact that bereavement time at so I ended up looking it up for my books because I was very curious. The average corporate amount of bereavement time is one day for an extended family member and three days for an immediate family member. Mm-hmm. I took That's a on par with
2: my policies for the companies I've worked for. I
0: I took I ended up having a full week, which I'm so grateful for. But if you think about what does a week even do? By the time that week is over, it's not in the thick of things that you need people. It's when the dust settles that you do. It's when all the pop and circumstance is done. It's when all the thank yous mm. and the and the I'm sorry's and the it'll get betters are over. The flowers so, that they sent have wilted. That's That's when you need people. That's when you need the support. So for me, opening up a conversation and saying, listen, I'm very comfortable discussing death, not because I think it's, you know, an easy topic, but because it's something that's worth talking about. It's a conversation worth having because if you don't know the wishes of people in your life, it's going to be a very difficult situation down the road. If you don't know financial, like let's talk about the heart, th- all of the hard things. That's what I'm trying to tell people. Let's talk about finances and mm-hmm. sex and death and loss and all of the really uncomfortable things that nobody wants to say out loud. Mm-hmm. Let's get better at it. Because when you, yes. when you address it now, when you're face-to-face with it and you're head-on, it's going to make it a lot easier down the road.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we love bringing that stuff even to this show because it takes hearing it from different sources, I feel like, to start to make people be like, oh, actually – not so bad talking about that. Maybe I should have those conversations in my home.
1: It's so interesting. You know, I, actually, I was listening to a, um, a podcast of the host. Her mother uh, actually committed suicide when she was, I believe, 18. And um, her thought on it in terms of, you know, for people who want to help, she said, you know, I'm someone that really feels like checking in on someone, you know, two months after six months after, a year, and also be okay having the conversations even later down the line. She's like, I I hate when people really try to scoot around the conversation or don't, you know, it's, and obviously it's different for everyone, but yeah, I mean, and, and everyone handles grief so differently. What is something that you wish that everyone knew about grief? You know, I, I just wish they realized that it's not,
0: It's not an, it's a unique experience to everyone. There's no cookie cutter way to grieve. And because somebody appears to be laughing and doing well and having a great time doesn't mean they aren't grieving. I believe that grief will always exist with you. I think it's always going to be there. I think it will sit quietly in the background the longer that you go. I think it will make itself at home, but it's never going to overtake you as long as you don't allow it to. But I think it's unfair to judge somebody if they appear that they're doing well, or if you think that they're doing much better than they should be, or, you know, if somebody's a widow or a widower and they move on. You don't know the complexity of their life experience. You don't know what they've been through, what they're going through, what anyone is going through. I wish there was less judgment in general but especially in the conversations about this sort of stuff. Because there's this expectation that there's a certain decorum or there's a certain time period. Or the flip side of that is, why are you still sad? It happened six months ago. It happened a year ago. It happened 10 years ago. Why don't you get over it? That's the flip side of it. Every grief experience is a unique experience. And, you know, I have... I am t- I am good most days genuinely. But there are milestones that I have hit and have yet to hit that I know are going to be a rough time. So I tell people. And I have friends who check in with me during those times and they know whether I want to be around them or not. They give me the opportunity to share how I'm feeling because it's not all sunshine and rainbows and it's not all easy and it's not you know, I have a very dear friend who experienced loss recently and I could not physically go to a burial. I couldn't do it. It was still too fresh. That is something that I know somebody will not judge me for because it's, it takes time and it takes your own courage and your own capacity. And to be fair, I may never be able to go again. But right now, okay. it, wasn't, it wasn't something that I was capable of. So I think just giving, allowing people to give them grace, that's all. People deal with things differently. And if they're truly struggling, don't just ask if they're okay. Do something for them. Send them a gift card for DoorDash so that they can get themselves dinner. Go over and watch their kids if they need a babysitter. Pick up something from the store and drop it off at their house. We as a society, and I think we do this for parents, we do this for, you know, people who are looking for a hand, but don't know how to ask. We're really good at saying, let me know if you need anything, but we don't ever actually ask.
1: From a distance.
0: Of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. We don't actually take the initiative. And I think taking the initiative and just saying, listen, I sent you a bag of groceries and it may not be perfect, but that's what you're going to get for now. That speaks volumes. Those things go yeah, yeah. such a long way.
2: I mean, I think there's definitely a difference between an offer and initiative.
1: Yes, hundred. Because
2: sometimes oh. offers, even the most like good-intentioned offers, still feel a little empty. Uh huh. Without, and
0: I will tell you one of my so one one of my of very very best friends who she and I were nurses together in the ICU, and she's still to this day one of my, my closest friends. She sent food to my dad's house literally like every day, for like the entire week. We had so much food. It was ridiculous. because she said, you guys need to eat. You're not going to eat. You're not going to think to eat. My other, one of my like ride or die best friends, she went shopping for my mom's funeral dress with me. Like, talk about somebody who is like really getting die. in there. And like, we. I mean, we had jokes. We both looked fabulous in our little black outfits going shopping. And we made jokes. But those people, the people who are willing to step in and do those things, you know, it's not an easy conversation, but I will talk about it until I'm blue in the face with people because this is the reality of life. You have to accept that it's going to exist in your life at some place in some way. And knowing how to take that and, you know, I've learned how to turn my pain into something prolific and I think that's something that other people can hopefully learn from.
1: I was actually just quickly in that bloodline do you have for for anyone who's going through a loss right now or maybe has experienced something and um, they're just in it do you have any good tips or anything that you feel like or any resources that might be good for them? You you know you
0: I actually, I have a list of resources in the back of my book for some online grief resources that people can reach out to, whether it's children who are grieving, adults who are grieving, whatever it is. Um, But allow yourself to heal. Allow yourself to have grace. You don't treat yourself as though you would treat somebody that you love because we are often so hard on ourselves. And I think what happens with these circumstances is we go through periods of guilt. We go through the what ifs. We go through the I could have, I should have, I would have. None of that matters anymore. None of that matters anymore. So whatever it is that you need to do, whether it's travel, whether it's right, whether it's connect with other people in your life, take that and move in that direction. And if you truly are struggling, like depression, anxiety, they're very real. Mental health is a very real thing. Speak to a professional, and I mean that genuinely. There are so many apps you can do it from your house. There are so many ways that you can mm-hmm. connect with somebody for professional advice because having these talks with the people around you may not always be as warm and fuzzy as you need them to be because everybody mm-hmm. discusses things differently. You know, for me, writing things down has just been truly life saving, it has been a saving grace for me. And if you You don't have to be a great writer. You don't have to be a good writer. You just have to write. You just have to put your thoughts down somewhere in your iPhone note, on a piece of paper, on a Word document. Because someday you're going to want to look back at how you felt during this time and see how much you've progressed. And I think that's crucial, especially when you're going through a time of such transition.
2: What about for people that, because I feel like I'm kind of seeing this right now, I have like my best friend lost her mom who was kind of like a second mom to me but now she's got a newborn on top of a toddler and just kind of like going through it and I'm always just like how can I be a better like friend or support person to her do you have any advice for like people in my position or people like that of just like how to be that support
0: I think the fact that you are even asking this question is proof that you're already an amazing friend to her the fact that you care enough to inquire and look for ways to be be better at it is already huge i have some of my dear friends and one of my very best girlfriends who she's like a highly connected soul sister of mine she will check in frequently almost on a whim almost just on a gut feeling and mm-hmm. She won't necessarily bring up my mom, but she will always know when I'm in it, when I'm in a moment. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a picture the other day that she saw a little Ukrainian woman on the street smoking her cigarette Mm -hmm. and having a coffee. And she was next to a rose garden and she sent me a photo of her and she said, she reminded me of your mom. It's, It's those genuine things it's those genuine moments where you allow someone to know that you're thinking of them and know what they're going through but you don't necessarily have to broach the topic in a very head-on way because the other the other part that i've learned is that some people just can't discuss these matters and be functional mm-hmm. and unfortunately in life you have to continue to be a parent you have to continue to be a partner you have to continue to be a good employee So for many people, they can't talk about this the way I'm talking about it and still Mm -hmm. exist and function. So they have to compartmentalize it. They have to stick it in the back Mm -hmm. of their brain and not talk about it. And so my advice for you with with regards to your friend is ask her, would you like to vent? Would you like to talk about it? Would you like me to distract you? Would you like me to bring up something that has nothing to do with it? What do you need? Because people will really will appreciate good. not being, they will appreciate not being forced into the conversation if they don't have the space for
2: mm-hmm. it. That's really good advice because it is like hard. I mean, and then we we just don't we don't ask people like mm-hmm. what what actually works best for you, and to mm-hmm. assume sometimes does put them in a position that maybe they don't have the space for. I mean, I know, um, in. Like, my stepdad passed, and I'm so different than my sisters are about how we talk about things, and, like, even my mom. And, like, mm-hmm. they're the type. Like, I'm a talker. Like, I want to talk about everything, and I can't have those conversations with them because they don't have the space for it. But I've never actually asked, and she's my best friend. I've known her since kindergarten, but I've never actually had that direct conversation to be like, what do you need so I actually genuinely appreciate oh that advice
0: yeah you know it's, it's something that I find works and this is something that I find works too if I'm having conversations in general with someone who it doesn't have to be lost it could just be that they're, they're in it they're in the thick of whatever life is is chaotic I will ask them do you want advice or do you want to vent mm-hmm. do you want do you want do you want me to help you or do you just want to get it out because I can do whatever you want me to do, but I need to know what you need right now, and that helps direct me so that I'm not giving unsolicited opinions or advice. If somebody is like, "I just want to talk about it," um, mm-hmm. and that's some valuable insight that I've been able to use in a lot of different circumstances with, with different situations with people.
1: You're someone I think, Sonia, that I, I've, I've been drawn. We've both been drawn to for a long time, and. Um, you said this in one of your blogs, the first step toward discovering what you want to do is recognizing who you want to be. I thought that was really interesting. And as we're closing out, I'm really curious, you know, from your standpoint, because here you are, you're a CRNA, now a doctorate of CRNA. You've written these books, you've c- overcome all these things. How did you really dig into that? And do you have any advice to someone who's maybe in this, in this phase in their life? You, what I've learned now as
0: I'm sitting here talking to you guys, after going through so many different versions of myself and discovering who I am at so many different junctures, my ultimate goal is to find joy. It's to find happiness. It's to find connection with other people. And if something doesn't bring me that, it doesn't belong in my life. And the person I was a decade ago would probably tell people, for instance, they're unhappy in their work, they're unhappy in their job. I would tell them, give it a shot. I'm not saying to get up and leave. But if you're miserable all the time, if you find no joy in what you're doing, it's okay to have a job that you're not passionate about as long as you have a source of joy. And I will always, no matter what I do professionally, writing and creating, whether I publish or not, will always bring me joy. It will always be a source of inspiration for me. It will always be something that gets me excited and passionate and makes me happy. As long as you have something that triggers joy in your life, you can figure out your path from there. And I think we are, so, we are so bogged down by the reality of life, the everyday monotony, survival mode, paying bills, taking care of others, taking care of loved ones, that we put our joy on the back burner. And I genuinely believe that the key to a successful life, to a fulfilled life, to a fruitful life, is having a life of joy. I am not myself when I am not happy. And I know that truly. I, I've, and I've been, I've battled depression in the past. I battled situational depression, you know, burnout. I am not my true self when I am not happy. So when I have that source of joy and that place of joy, I know it because it, everybody else around me knows it and they feel it. It will truly impact you. So it doesn't matter. The degrees don't matter. Letters after your name don't matter. It's all nice. But if you're only doing it because you can only see yourself at an end point and you can't get anything from the experience of existing in it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You will never look around and smell the roses around you if you're just staring at the garden in the distance. You won't.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I would love just like a coffee table book of all your quotes Me too, because <laughs> everything <laughs> you say is so powerful. <laughs> you know, it's I, crazy because I—that's your next book. Yeah, is <laughs> <laughs> literally you need just a coffee table. I'm, I'm writing these, that. Like, I'm writing that down. I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, there we go. And then <laughs> in your forward, you can thank. Uh, the I will. Show. I, I will.
1: <laughs> I will. Honestly, like I, because I just like
2: I love like little things like that, but they're so profound.
1: Well, what's interesting and, you know, is why a piece of you, there's very deep, it's funny because your Instagram, you're so good with your quotes. And like in the moment, it's almost like when your feed pops up or when your post pops up in that moment, I'm like, how did she just know that I needed this today? Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's humor and a lot of it's just, but it's so, you are one of those people that I just think there's this level of deepness and sincerity and you're such a prolific writer, which I'm very jealous of because I struggle with writing, but I I really, I love those deep messages and I love that. And I think there's this layer of you that honestly, like I would love to bring you back and have, we didn't even touch on any half the things we want to touch on, but I think today's message was just so powerful and you're just one of the most profound. It was so timely
2: for me. Like, I don't know, this has been a tough month and everything oh. like, because my stepdad's funeral was last month and That's then so I'm dealing with my friends and everything so I'm just like I don't know this I just needed this episode today I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired so from happy traveling like I just flew in from LAX like two hours ago but I'm like this episode just like
0: yeah. I'm, fed I'm so happy like, I'm, I needed I'm it <laughs> truly so happy to hear that and I really appreciate that because you know we exist in a space where Little, little bites of entertainment and little snippets of something to distract our minds is the way that we exist, right? We scroll through videos mm-hmm. and we throw, scroll through photos and we look at memes and uh, there's a place for that. But to know mm-hmm. that whatever it is that I'm doing, which just doesn't really have a niche, is impacting you guys in a positive way, that, that really makes me happy to continue doing so. Because
1: you're our kind of people, girl. I love it. Right back at you. We're in this, we're in that niche together. Right back that, at you. Like, I don't know. We don't know what we're doing either, but I'm like, I this, love it. These are kind of conversations. I love it. Um, do you have anything good coming up that you want to shout out to the audience? Or um, anything coming up soon? Yeah.
0: I mean, lots of, lots of exciting things that, like, because I'm my own boss, I don't have time for them. So I'm like, I'm not going to fire myself. Um, but <laughs> my, so my website recently launched um, nurse dot com, and I will be consistently blogging on there. I also am starting a webinar series that is hopefully going to be free for the continuing timeframe. My first webinar is going to be this coming Friday. I know this will be post, you know, this is going to air after, but I'm hoping to take topics that people have messaged me about, whether it's inside or outside of the hospital, and do like a 30 minute webinar with a Q and A, so that people can come in and and listen. And the questions that I keep getting repetitively, I can sort of answer in one space. So I was working on that presentation today for like hours because I don't know how to do it any other way, Um, but it excites me. You know, I I love teaching and I think any way that I can get my hands on some ways to, whether it's as a consultant or as an educator or whatever, um, that's going to be coming down the road. And I'm really, really, really hoping that I can get a book tour at least on the books for like fall of this year and do some in-person locations across the country. Let us know if you're in Southern California. Yeah. I mean, Happily I, come. I okay. might have to, I might have to plan it for there now regardless. So.
2: I mean, yeah. yes, there's yes. lots, lots of us. Over we need here. to meet
1: you in person. I know. And
0: absolutely. I have a signed
2: Copy of the book.
0: Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my hope is that and we can do another episode Oh, I would with you live, guys live. we love doing live episodes I know it's amazing I may you know maybe I'll have to fly out we'll see I'll have I'll have All my right. people call your people and I, <laughs> I am my own keep us
2: on your <laughs> <radar>. I am <laughs> DM I am my own
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am my people. people
2: and by that we mean we'll just yeah DM, <laughs> yeah, we'll each, DM
1: other. each other so, so yeah way. I'll just I'll DM you yeah <laughs> awesome we love that for us I love um, you guys okay where can every platform where, can, yeah, where can everyone can we get your books Oh, so, yeah, I'm
0: Nurse Sonja, Sonja, um, on Instagram, and my website is com. You can get any of my books on Amazon currently, who is driving me insane, um, and I will be recording my audio books for both uh, oh, Coffee with My Dead Mother God. and You Won't Feel a Thing in the studio in Manhattan in the next couple months. So, the audio books are going to be out as well. Um, currently, like I said, they're on Amazon sometimes sometimes Amazon's like no they're not but uh I just sold out <laughs> I just sold out and got some more inventory back now so
1: that's so exciting yeah. I, you, I mean you're a best-selling author all these things I mean you're just wonderful Sonia we are so thankful for your time I love you guys um, I really it was so easy to talk to you get it
2: well, I'm on Amazon right now, ordering the book. Yeah, <laughs> I know you. a few people. I need this for.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we I will love link you. them in the bio as well. Awesome. We'll link all the resources in your website as well for everyone. Awesome. Um, thank you. So thank much you, guys. Really, thank amazing. you. It was phenomenal. Thank you.
2: Okay, is she not also just the sweetest, like <sighs> cutest human ever? Yeah, I love I, her vibes.
1: Her vibes are amazing. I think today's conversation was just so insightful and deep and unexpected. And, um, we needed this conversation today. Uh, we just, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and make sure you guys go follow her, drop her a message. Let her know what you thought of this, of this episode. I think it's so nice when you guys connect with the guests that we have on here because you know, we're a community here and that's the whole point is we want to, you know, grow together. So definitely drop her a message. And
2: I did buy the book the, oh, the you know what? I need to buy I for- need to get it
1: for yes. I want to actually get a couple copies. Yeah. So there's yeah. a few people. Awesome. Um, and then we've linked all of these goodies there for you guys in the bio as always. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening. We just cannot express how much we we love you guys. You guys every week just you know the reviews you guys send in. It just means the world to us. Um as we're you know, working hard here and growing with you. It's been amazing. Make sure you follow us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. And you can check out all of
2: our links in the bio, Mm -hmm. but specifically... Both of our trips are live. They so are... you can now book Iceland Let's for New go. Year's Eve mm-hmm. and Bali still has a few spots left if you want those beachy vibes in the spring break. So I
1: want to be cheer- I want to be cheering champagne with all of you under the northern lights. Okay. That's what I want to be doing.
2: No, seriously though, the itinerary is phenomenal, but we'll actually be in the capital city on New Year's Eve, <sighs> which is like a big street party. It's one of the like top-rated places destinations in the world to celebrate new year's eve because they do firework shows and everyone congregates in the street and it's like so one giant party so the fact that we're actually specifically in the capital on new year's eve is
1: perfection i cannot chef's wait. kiss also just so you guys know so we have officially sold out of our op at dawn socks love
2: you guys
1: <laughs> Mean <it. laughs> like sold out um, I happened to get my hands on a couple pairs before we, uh, before we did officially sell out, sell out. So I'm holding up couple hostage. So mm-hmm. if you leave a review I, we will be entering you will be entered to win a pair of the socks so we this is just another way of us saying thank you we absolutely love you guys if you've already left a review you know grab mom's phone leave us another review who knows yeah. you know download subscribe on an on boyfriend's phone wink, who blink, knows we wink, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge nudge so um if you guys leave the review we'll be sending those out in the next couple of weeks and you will be entered to win a pair of our up at dawn socks yes love that for you
2: So make sure you leave your IG handle, and we will get those out to you. Mm -hmm. And thanks for listening, guys. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. And make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Samantha with two A's. And stay tuned for a fun bonus. Woo! Bye. Bye!